0: Now we stand pleased for the reading of the word of God Second 2 Kings chapter 8. We continue our study through Kings, 2 Kings chapter 8 and verses 16 to 29. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Now he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Haziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. Then King Joram, I'm in verse 29, by the way. I started reading in verse 25, but we'll cover it all. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria, and Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab in Jezreel, because he was sick. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Amen. Be seated, please. Writing to the core. This passage before us is dominated, humanly speaking, by a person who isn't even there. Of course, we understand that the person who dominates all scripture, including this passage, is the Lord himself. But the man who is driving this passage is not there. He's been long dead. Ahab's name is mentioned eight times in 14 verses in this passage. He is dead, but his wicked influence lives on and continues to bring trouble to Israel and Judah. Ahab, we know, was rotten to the core. In his day, Israel, the northern kingdom, was rotten to the core. But like a rotten apple pulled out of the barrel and thrown away, the rot of Ahab has already spread. He's gone. But the rot remains. And now the rot has spread to the southern kingdom of Judah rotten to the core. Let's get to it. First, in this passage, we see the contagion of idolatry. The contagion of idolatry. Look at verse 16. Now, in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah, He was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel just as the house of Ahab had done for the daughter of Ahab was his wife and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now if you remember Jehoshaphat, king of the southern kingdom of Judah, he had been certainly not the best but a relatively good king. He was a contemporary of the wicked Ahab of the northern kingdom of Israel. You remember that Jehoshaphat encouraged Ahab to inquire of the Lord through a real prophet, not one of the many false prophets who told Ahab only what he wanted to hear. But now Jehoshaphat dies, and his son... Jehoram becomes king of Judah. And we are told here that Jehoram's wife is the daughter of Ahab. So he walks in the ways of Ahab. I realize that a scenario in which a good monarch passes away and the next generation that takes over has an icky marital situation is a totally foreign concept in the fall of 2022. But in the ancient world, those things happen rather frequently. But you see, the corruption has spread. Ahab's family was bad enough. But then he married Jezebel, you remember. The daughter of the Syrophoenician king. And she imported the idolatry of Baal from her country into Israel. She made Baalism the state religion of Israel and exterminated true prophets of Jehovah. Their son, Jehoram, you notice the names are so similar and mixed up on both sides. Their son was not a Baalist, but he was very evil. And relatively good king, Jehoshaphat, of the relatively better southern kingdom of Judah, either permits or more likely arranges a marriage between his own son and heir apparent and the house of Ahab. It was good politics. With the Syrians on the move from the north, it was advantageous for Israel and Judah to be a united front. From Jehoshaphat's point of view in the south, Israel was the only buffer between him and Syria. So he needs to be on the best possible terms with Israel. So his son marries Ahab's daughter. Jehoshaphat forgot that there's something worse than having the Syrian army come against him. And it's turning the Lord against him. The great preacher, Dr. E.V. Hill, once said, quote, Be careful who your children are mating up with You can't get no race horses out of mules. Scripture could not be any clearer on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. A Christian is forbidden to marry an unbeliever. Christian must marry a Christian. A real Christian. Not someone who says they're Christian, goes to church when they have to, but someone who lives and breathes Jesus Christ. If you have to ask someone if they are a Christian, it's because they're not. You don't have to ask a real Christian. A real Christian is a self-evident Christian. It's already obvious that Jesus Christ is the highest priority in their life. If Jesus Christ is not the absolute highest priority in your life, you are not a real Christian. You are what they call a nominal Christian. Christian is simply a word. And you need to get saved today. If you are a real Christian, you have no business getting in a relationship with or marrying a non-Christian or a nominal Christian. If you are a Christian parent, you have no business allowing your children to get into relationships with or marry non-Christians or nominal Christians. We must fight this hand, tooth, and nail. It says, He walked in the way of the kings of Israel just as the house of Ahab had done for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Do you want your children's tombstone to read, He did evil in the sight of the Lord? And don't let them mess around with unbelievers. And it keeps getting worse. It metastasizes like cancer. Look at verse 25. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel and he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Jehoram dies, and his son Ahaziah becomes king of Judah, and he is a biological descendant of Ahab through his mother and an in-law of Ahab through the royal line of Judah. And it says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. The text is plain. He was evil like Ahab because of his relation. To Ahab. The evil came because of this unequal marriage. We see the contagion of idolatry. Secondly, in this passage, we see the consequences of idolatry. Look at verse 20. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Joram went to Zire and all his chariots with him. Then he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots and the troops fled their tents. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority this day and Libner revolted at that time. Now Edom, you remember the nation descended from Esau. Edom revolts and, and stays in constant revolt against Judah. Edom is to the south. You see, Jehoshaphat was worried about Syria to the north and forged this ungodly alliance with the house of Ahab in Israel to defend against the enemy from the north, but now the Lord raises up an enemy from the south. It's like the Turks at Aqaba in 1917 or the British at Singapore in 1941. They had all their artillery pointed to the sea, but the enemy snook in the back door. Now here the Edomites do not defeat Judah, but they remain in constant rebellion and constantly bleed them. This is what happens when the Lord is left out of our plans, when we turn to other gods as Judah had done. When we turn to other gods like Baal in Israel or trust in politics down in Judah or in money or in power or anything else, when we leave the Lord out of our plans, he has a way of blindsiding us to show us the foolishness of our thinking. These are The consequences of idolatry. We see the contagion of idolatry. We see the consequences of idolatry. And thirdly and finally, we see the antithesis of idolatry. The antithesis of idolatry. Look at verse 19. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David as he promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. Remember when we started, we said that the man who dominates this passage is not there. He's dead before any of this happens. And we said that Ahab casts along and dismal shadow over this passage mentioned eight times in 14 verses though he's not even there. But Ahab actually is not the dominant man in this scripture. It's David. Despite the rot and idolatry and compromise and abomination that has now spread down into Judah The Lord does not destroy it. Why? Because of his promise to David two centuries before. The striking thing in this passage is not the sin. That's the disease of the entire human race. The striking thing in this passage is not the judgment of God. That's fair. The striking thing in this passage is that God remembers mercy because he will not break his promise to David. The antithesis of the faithlessness and emptiness of the idolatry and idols that are consuming Judah is the faithfulness of the one true God. because of his promise to David. But there's actually another man who dominates this passage. Let's read verse 19 again. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David as he promised him to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. The covenant the Lord made with David is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said he preached, quote, "...the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born to the seed of David according to the flesh." And declared to be the son of God with power. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The promises in the Old Testament scriptures, including the promise to David, were concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He was declared or constituted the Son of God in power in his resurrection. Jesus has been raised and is now set down on the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord promised David about David's son that he would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The Lord promised David, I will be his father and he shall be my son. David's son, Jesus Christ, in his resurrection was declared to be the son of God in power, the eternal king who will reign on the throne Forever. Jesus Christ is the reason the Lord showed mercy to Judah in spite of their sins. It was because the Lord would not break his promise to David that he would send his son Jesus into the world. And he is the reason the Lord still shows us mercy. In spite of our sin. Before he was raised, declared to be the Son of God in power, and seated upon the throne forever, the Lord Jesus had to fulfill the covenant the Lord made by shedding his blood, dying for our sin, our unfaithfulness. Our Lord Jesus, at the last supper on the night he was betrayed, said, This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's what this table is about. The Lord kept his promise to David. The old covenant is fulfilled in the new covenant in which Jesus, the son of David, shed his blood for his people and upon the fulfillment of his work, the Lord raised him up and made him the son of God in power, the king on David's throne forever. For all who are in covenant with God by faith in Jesus Christ this is a table of mercy a table of the grace of God the cup we take is the cup of blessing so now as we prepare to come to this table and sing from the green book number 242 the psalm they sang that very night We shall take the cup of blessing and call upon the name of God.